Dusky goes through it again. Oh, he just can't do it. You just cannot be that good. That is an amazing goal. I think he's scored a goal every time he's had a shot. What's going on, guys? We are back with the third European edition of the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Champions League for this one. But without further ado, with me as always, the UCL win streak to my Bayern Munich, Billy. You couldn't help yourself. Was it 14 games now? 14 games on the trot, boy. It'll come to an end soon, trust me. I'm sorry, but who... Well, you never know, but this week we have a whole host of topics for you. It's a very German-heavy episode this week, but that's because all the German teams really did outperform themselves. So we have a less-than-stellar PSG performance against RB Leipzig, a rallying buy-in comeback against RB Salzburg, and what is going on at Manchester United, but we'll get to that later. Don't forget, we got Gladbach as well, guys. They did, they, did a, they did a number. Well, should we start with Borussia Mönchengladbach against Shakhtar then? Yeah, why not? Because they finally rewarded themselves for the really, I'd say, I, I don't, I'm trying to figure out the, what the best way to describe their type of football is because it's very direct and forward. And they were always shaky at the back, you know, in the last couple of minutes. But this time around, I think uh, the Gladbach coach jokingly said it was, we just scored so many goals that they couldn't, you know, come back at the, la- at the very last minute. And that was why they took home the three points. Yeah, we've mentioned it a couple times now about them not taking opportunities and not punishing teams when they have the chance. Shakhtar felt the full force of... Probably a couple games worth of frustration. <laughs> that, that is the perfect way to say it. I think that you just, you just, pen, you just pen the headline for this episode. <laughs> but especially Alisson Player, who's not been at the level oh. he was last season, but a hat-trick in that he game. Was. He was untouchable. That one top bins strike. Boah. It was I mean, more like the, it was more like the player we saw last year. Yeah, last season the the before Turam really blossomed at um, at Gladbach, and Plea was basically the sole provider of goals and assists for Gladbach. And then, you know, he, Turam came in and kind of overshadowed Plea a bit. And now Plea and Turam are both, you know, Turam had a quiet night. Plea steps up, hat trick. No problem. Yeah, and to be fair, it was quite nice to see that partnership for players' hat-trick goal. It was Turam that got the assist. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit like, uh, like what you were saying was when uh, Rashford and Martial were kind of, you know, just benefiting off each other. One game would be Rashford with the goals and Mar- Martial with the assists. The, uh, the next game would be vice versa. You know, it's that kind of partnership, I think, that's slowly blossoming at Gladbach. And they definitely deserve it. It'll be it'll be nice to watch that grow because they're both really good players. I think Turan possesses qualities that player doesn't and vice versa. I think players' finishing is better 
Yeah, I think yeah. Turam's got better build-up play to him, so they're going to benefit a lot off each other. Yeah, and and Gladbach also, you know, they did well by retaining all the players that that made them or got them the Champions League spot last season, and that wasn't necessarily a given, especially because Turam and Plea are both, you know, early twenties, mid twenties, maybe. Um, I know Turam is 23. I'm not sure about Plea, but I'm pretty sure he's around the same age. And, you know, that's especially for a club like Gladbach, who aren't consistently making uh, Champions League spots, for them to retain all the players, not just Turam and Player, but also, you know, Ginta, Elvedi, um, maybe even Jan Zoma to a certain extent, um, who we've said before on this podcast is a very underrated goalkeeper. So them keeping that team together is definitely paying off. It's important for them because you think of some of the players that have left Gladbach. So recently, uh, Torgan Hazard has left. Granit Xhaka a couple of years ago to Arsenal when he was still good. Well, yeah. And Marco Royce left to go to Dortmund. I, given this was eight years ago, but at the time he left, he was pretty much Gladbach's sole star player. That's what I mean. It's like you want to keep those players and maybe they'll keep Turam and player a bit longer or maybe they might put their foot down and go, no, we're a solid Champions League challenging side now. We want to be in the Champions League every year. We need these players and we want to get more in. Yeah, I really hope they do because... um... The Süddeutsche Zeitung, which is one of the biggest newspapers in Germany, said um, after that match, they are the perfect example of money doesn't always score goals. And they're also the perfect example of what, you know, can be gotten out of a squad when you have competent management who use their heads and put a squad together who definitely gel and can you know produce results and i think all credit to their sporting director max eber who also former professional played also for bayern munich um among other teams and you know he's and he was also on bayern munich's list um for sporting director before they went with uh hasan zalihamidzic because of the job he'd been doing at gladbach and it's as i said paying off well exactly and they aren't a bad team throughout. Like they've got a good spine. Yeah, yeah. Especially when they, I think, is, is Zakaria, is he injured? Mm-hmm. So you get him back, that makes that midfield more solid than it already is and probably frees up pe- people to attack more knowing that you've got a player like him hanging back. And Ginter last year was one of the best centre-backs in the league. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, going from one... German team to another who have definitely rewarded themselves after less than stellar performances. How do you go from getting decked 5-0 by Manchester United one week to beating PSG 2-1 the next? RB Leipzig did just that. It was. I, I did watch this game at the same time as others, but I think this, this was, I had this on mainly because I wanted to see what what the result was. And it was it was a combination of Leipzig being hungry, up for it, almost like, look, 
we haven't shown people what we can do. We were top of the league. It's now dropped off a bit. We need to show people who we are. And also, PSG really <laughs> help themselves. No, I mean, I think two yellow-red cards uh, speak for themselves. You know, if you've got two players who are flying into challenges, you know, like that, and they manage to get two yellow cards each, that pretty much says it all, and one of them being Kimpembe, their starting centre-back, he's now going to be missing in the next match against Leipzig. And, yeah, you're completely right. They didn't help each other. I wouldn't say it's a, it was a stellar performance by RB Leipzig. I've definitely seen them play better. I think solid describes their performance probably. And it was more a case of mentality and sheer willpower to, to, to force the second goal. Yeah, it was a case of let's keep plugging, let's keep plugging. But I, I don't know why. I, I, know, I know Neymar is injured. Yeah, I can only assume Mbappe was as well. Yeah, it was. I was very surprised not to see either of them playing. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've got about as much information on that one as you do. But yeah, I've, I was definitely expecting. You know, I knew Neymar was injured, but Mbappe as well. Then PSG definitely have. It's definitely hurt them. Well, he can't have been that injured, Mbappe, because he's just been called up to the France squad for November internationals. But let's be honest. Do you think all the money PSG have spent, a front three of Pablo Sarabia, Angel Di Maria and Moise Keane, doesn't strike be... fear into anyone? Yeah, but that should still be doing damage, in my opinion. I mean, we've seen what Moise Keane can do. You know, he's now got more goal, as many goals for PSG in four games or something as he did for Everton in, in like a year. And he did get the assist for Angel Di Maria's goal on six minutes. Exactly. So I'm, you know, I'm sorry, but at the end of the day, Di Maria and Keane up front should already be doing enough damage on their own. Especially when you look at the way Leipzig played against United and the way they, you know, they still managed to concede against Gladbach at the weekend like I said it was like a switch had almost gone like look we need to we need to change we need to show people why we were semi-finalists in the Champions League last season yeah yeah. Timo Werner or not and yeah they had a bit of luck Di Maria missed a penalty Florenzi missed the or the the follow-up from Florenzi was missed yeah the two red cards, maybe not Kim Pembe because that was ninety fifth minute, but definitely Adrissa Gay. Oh yeah, I think having a player like him, it sort of eased the pressure a bit because they were two one up at that point. Yeah, definitely. I think um, obviously the penalty from Di Maria just a bad penalty. Gulashi, as long as he went the right way, he was saving that. And yeah, it, was, it was a comfortable save. For Galashi. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, the big story here was around the match as well because Thomas Tuchel said openly, you know, I haven't gotten a contract extension yet and no one from the club has talked to me about extending my contract and his contract's up in 2021. I don't know. What do you make of that? Well, do you want an honest opinion on that? Yes, please. 
this PSG team, unless something happens in the second half of the group stage, say United completely implode like it looks like they're doing, or, you know, or if they don't play like we know they can, they will drop into the Europa League. And if that happens, he will get a sack. Contract offer or no contract offer. Uh, to, definitely. To think definitely. last year's finalists, PSG, with Mbappe, Neymar, uh, all these players, all the money they've spent on their attack in the Europa League. Yeah, I think I think it's also. I think someone just needs to needs to figure out that at the end of the day, the model that PSG are trying to win titles with is just not working. I mean, they've been pumping money and throwing money at this club since 2011. And yeah, they made it to the final last season and they probably came up, you know, they, they probably didn't have the best of luck coming up against a Bayern Munich squad who, you know, they were just, there was just no way around it. They were going to win that title and they were just much the favorites. But even if, even with that, you just have to, you just have to see that that with the money they've spent alone on Neymar and Mbappe, close to 400 mil, or I think it is even 400 mil. Bayern Munich, for instance, didn't spend that much over the last 10 years on their attack. And then you go, and, you know, it's, it's going to be okay for the French League and for the French Cup probably. But you just have to say that that star-studded lineup, you can throw in any manager in there and it still won't work because you're not, you don't have a cohesive unit on the pitch. Well, they've now got a break between. There's an international break now and players can go away and sort themselves out. But they've got a, they've got a game against RB Leipzig coming up without Idrissa Gay, so without that main anchor man. Yeah. And without first choice centre-back Kim Pembe. But I want to just give you the back four of PSG for that game, ignoring Kaylor Navas. So, yeah. Florenzi, Danilo Pereira, Kim Pembe, and Lerwin Kazawa. Only one of those players is probably fit to play for PSG. And that's Kim Pembe. And he's now gotten himself sent off in the 95th minute. Well, Lerwin Kazawa is... I'd, reckless. He's he's too. In, I th- I'd say reckless is the one thing, but he for me it's also the inconsistency because I mean, if you think about it, Ramos can be reckless as well, but you're not going to take him off, are you? It's the no. fact that Ramos still, even with his recklessness, consistently consistently puts in a shift, and he with Kozawa, I don't I don't see it. Uh, Danilo Pereira is on loan from Porto. I'm not going to lie. I was When you said Danilo Pereira, I was going to say who? Exactly. He is <laughs> He's on loan from Porto. Yeah. Playing, oh, you, you've got Marquinhos playing in midfield. Why are you playing Pereira at centre-half? And Florenzi is on loan from Roma. You've got to think, why are they letting these players go on loan? If Florenzi was that good... He wouldn't have spent the last few years on loan at Valencia and 
now at PSG. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think I think PSG is going to slowly figure out that um they're or they're gonna slowly go into the same spiral. I wouldn't say it was spiral, but they're gonna be in the same I think they're gonna slowly find themselves in the same situation as Real Madrid and Barcelona that where they might not be as much in need of a generational switch, they're still going to figure out that, you know, the talent that they have up front is not going to win them a title alone and that they're going to have to figure out either they invest or they bring some youth players through, but it's not exactly, I, I just don't think the model of PSG is going to be something that you can do, keep doing in the future. No, it's, it's unsustainable. It won't, it might win you the French League pro- probably one or two more times before someone like Leon goes, now hang on. We've got yeah. we've got quality throughout the team. We're not top heavy. Why can't we challenge PSG? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Marseille might still have a little bit further to, or a longer way to go than that, but uh if well, their Champions League performances or anything just performance <laughs> against Porto. Jesus. But I think we need to move on to one of the matches that I think was it was very telling of the way Bayern's dominance is still surging through Europe. Because I think this is the first time in a good few matches that Bayern have really come up against a team that have, you know, that they, they, they had them on the back foot for, you know, good parts of the match with uh, RB Salzburg, or as they have to call themselves in the Champions League, FC Salzburg, due to the merchandising ruling of UEFA. But, um, you know, they put, that, that Salzburg team played with, you know, hunger, fire, youth and passion, everything that, you know, every Red Bull club is really known for. And it shocked Bayern at the beginning. I mean, Bayern went down after four minutes. Uh, can, I make, can I make an observation? Yes. You may not agree with it, but I think Salzburg probably hit sod it. Like, I think they were expecting to lose. I think they were expecting to be overpowered. And so, well, we've got nothing to lose. Let's just go and... They just hit the screw it button, you're saying? Yeah, they hit screw it. Let's just go and do what we do. None of this. No trying to out-tactic or out-maneuver Hansi Flick and Bayern. It was just, we're Salzburg. This is what we do. Just go and do what you are capable of doing. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're completely right because they played, like I said, they played with the exact same, you know, fire. They pressed. They had they they basically because Salzburg are also a team that much like Bayern they do they love to they love to press forward, and the minute they lose the ball they're pressing, and Bayern because they usually were the ones who employed this tactic tactic they all of a sudden didn't know what exactly they were supposed to do with it, and it showed for you know a good seventy minutes sixty five minutes you know why. Um, or how much that actually impressed them. And I mean, I think it was down to just the individual class or the class of Bayern Munich as a team as well, that they managed to get the two goals, you know, one through a penalty, which definitely was one. Um, and, you know, the, the basically Müller 
forcing an own goal to make it to even take the lead at some point. I think that's just down to the fact that Bayern are that good. But I mean, Salzburg definitely, they definitely had them, you know, on a back and forth and maybe even on the ropes to a certain extent for a good hour of that match. God, yeah. I was going to, I was going to message you, but I thought I'd save it for this, but I think that is the difference between good teams and great teams is being down or being uncomfortable in a, in a situation that Bayern Munich aren't used to, a team stepping onto them, a team yeah. coming toe-to-toe with Bayern and going, okay, you do that, we'll do it as well. But yeah. that, that ability to go, yeah, all right, okay, you've had your fun. Let's just completely steamroll. Let's just <laughs> batter. I think yeah, I think you've you're really nailing it with the uh, with the headlines of each match today, Billy. I'm 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 definitely impressed. But yeah, I think I think that re- beautifully describes it uh, because you know the last 75 minutes it was just Bayern basically being like, I we've let you you know we've let you run around a little bit and you know now we're going to concentrate. And the minute Bayern started to concentrate. My God, you do not want to be on the receiving end because it went from 2-2 in the 75th minute to finishing 6-2 in the 90th. That's what I mean. It was like almost, (laughs) you almost sort of feel a bit sorry for Okagawa because it was his goal. It was like his second or third touch after coming on, but it was his goal that went, no, okay, we've had enough of this. Let's just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Because I think if, if that goal doesn't go in, it's still comfortable. You're 2-1 up. I think Bayern are more than capable of going, okay, we'll slow it down. We'll play it out. Something that, that, you know... That yeah, goal goes in. It's like, yes, this, yeah. this doesn't compute. We, we don't draw games. We don't not win. So it's like, okay, <laughs> everyone forward. You know, Jerome Boateng, last, first half of last season, the forgotten man. And now, you know, he's, he, might, he might be one of the big you know, guys to step up should David Alaba leave next summer. Best goal of the night was definitely Leroy Sales. <laughs> An absolute Jeez. curler into the top I, left. I mean, he pulled a Robin again. He did it against, uh, ah, who was it? Last home game. I want to say, uh, this is really annoying me now. I'm going to come on. This is your team. I realize, but you know, when when your team keeps keeps nailing teams like that, you know, you start forgetting them. Um, oh, Frankfurt, yeah, it was a Leroy Sané comes on 75th minute against Frankfurt. It's already three nil, and he just decides, ah, oh, I'm wearing the number 10 shirt. I'm in the Allianz Arena. Might as well channel my inner Ian Robben and pulls across from the right side, and then curls it far post. Top bins does the same thing against. Uh, against Salzburg and you know as much as he's not at 100% it's that's the reason why Bayern bought him is for moments of brilliance like that oh god yeah I think there was no doubt over the ability Leroy Sane possessed especially after his first season at City he won PFA Young Player of the Year oh yeah yeah because he completely he destroyed it was like well it was something different for Premier League fullbacks, Premier League defenders, he sort of, it hurts to say it, but he sort of ripped up the rule book of wingers. It was like, okay, well, I'm direct, I can cross, and I can finish. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I okay, guess... well, do I show him onto his left or do I show, <laughs> do I show him onto his <laughs> left to, to shoot or his right to cross? Because yeah, if I put I th- him on his left, he'll probably get a, a decent shot on goal. If I put him on his right, there's going to be a good crossing for someone to head and possibly score. And the thing is, his, his right foot is not even all that great. By his standards, at least. Or in comparison to his left, I'd say. And I think that's all, it also goes to show is because you don't hear it that often that, you know, a, a player like a, a, a winger kind of just, as you said, tears up the rule book on, on wingers in the Premier League. I think you know, there are a handful of players you can say that about. And, you know, I probably the, the one that comes to mind is Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, let's not. I'm not comparing those two uh, by no by no means, but I'm what I'm saying is you know the that category of player who just brings something new to the table, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and yeah, there was that injury, and there were questions over attitude because I think Guardiola obviously demands a lot of his players. Yeah, and you know we don't know we we're not on the inside of that dressing room, but. Clearly something happened. They fell out. And had he not been injured, like we said, when he signed for you this summer, he would have been there last year. He would have won that Champions League with you last year. Yeah. And I mean, that's not to say that I don't think he will win a Champions League with Bayern because I genuinely do believe that he has a very good chance of doing so, even this season. You know, if there's a season that Bayern might be able to defend their title, it could be this one. Well, they look to be the only team that that isn't suffering or yeah. weakened by the virus. Yeah, and it's just—I know people are used to Bayern Munich winning, but this is like next level. This is keeping it going. This is—I mean, the stats—the stats that Hansi Flick puts up. You know, it's—it is sheer. I mean, I think for me, it's just sheer incredulity every time I see the, uh, I see the stats. Because the guy, you know, he's, he's now been there a year. So he, he's, had, he's, he's had a full year with Bayern. And if, funnily enough, it's his first full season at Bayern. But I'm just going to read you here some, some stats from, uh, from about the 3rd of November, which is, in a year, he's won five trophies, played 48 matches, has 44 wins, one draw, three defeats, 159 goals scored under Hansi Flick's management, and only 40 conceded. That's mad. Those stats, are, those are stupid stats. Like, you, they, you, just, have to, you just have to see that Bayern have less defeats than they won titles in the last year. Yeah, that's that's quite impressive. Uh, you know, you ju- you're just lost for words at some point. And, you know, that's, <laughs> Hoffenheim just proved to be, you know, a slip-up, which well, I think... That was, that was the anomaly. That was, there's, there's anomalies yeah. <laughs> in every season. Exactly, that exactly. Was the, that was the anomaly in the data. But... I said it to you back end of last season during the European tournament thing. Yeah, the Champions League tournament, yeah. This is the foundations of a dynasty. 
Yeah, I but mean, it's, it's hard to argue. <laughs> but you've got to transition properly. You've got to transition properly from Muller, Lewandowski, Neuer. Because I, I don't yeah. want to, you know, piss on your bonfire. <laughs> but You're not if wrong, you, though. If you don't replace those players properly, it could be really horrible. I mean, you've just also named the three players who are, you know, in their own bracket when it comes to their annual salaries, something that, you know, David Alaba was hoping to break into. And, you know, many pundits have said in Germany, David Alaba is unbelievable and he's a great center back, you know, such a versatile player. And he's, you know, probably one of the most underrated defensive players in Europe. But he's not Thomas Muller, he's not Lewandowski, and he's not Manuel Neuer. Exactly. Is he? Is it'd be extremely hard to replace him, but he is still replaceable. Well, apparently Whereas, not, because Jerome Boateng's doing a stellar job. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously he's playing alongside Alaba right now because uh, Zula tested positive for the coronavirus. But what I'm saying is um, Lewandowski, Neuer, and Müller—they are irreplaceable. I mean, find me players. In this, the, on this planet that can do what they do. I know there are players who probably have ability-wise might be better than Thomas Müller, but Thomas Müller is a one-of-a-kind player who he just makes runs that no one, ex- no one expects. He manages to find a pass where no one thinks, you know, why would, no logical way is he passing that way, but he does. Or, you know, he put, someone puts in a cross and everyone's saying like, okay, there's no way that someone's going to get it. You know, in because it's, it's such an awkward angle. But then Thomas Müller, you know, nods it in with his knee or with his shoulder. I don't know. But and it's that kind of unique playing player that that sets those three apart. It's going to be weird when Thomas Müller retires because I remember that World Cup 2010. Was it Maradona that was stuck in for a ball boy at the yeah. press conference? <laughs> Like who is who is this small boy who's playing for Germany? Is he a mascot? That small boy was in the starting eleven then that absolutely bent Argentina over and made, and won four 0 Ah, oh, good times. Well, from a manager who's breaking the right records. Oh, this hurts. To it a manager a... that's breaking all the wrong ones. I, I, as much as that hurts you to say, it is a beautiful transition. Oh, it is, but it felt like someone was ripping my heart out of my chest. <laughs> Solskjaer is not... You said it last episode already. He's, he has another unwanted record as United manager when United managed to lose to Arsenal in the first, for, at Old Trafford for the first time in 14 years. And... Just just take me through the match against Bazakshia. I hope I'm saying that right. Bazakshia. Oh, good God. It's just a tongue twister, isn't it? I'm just going with Istanbul. <laughs> just take me through that match. Take me through the rainy night in Istanbul. Oh, that sounds like something that could have been so great, but turned out to be something so, so horrible. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Liverpool had their own rainy night in Istanbul and it was something so different to us. <laughs> anyway, we 
they they started actually quite well, mm. and that was probably their downfall. So it was just constant pressure, constant pressure on the Istanbul Bashak Shahir goal. Yeah. And then it happened. <laughs> Literally everyone was camped in our attacking third. It oh, might have been Martin Skirtle who hoofed the ball long. Denver Bar chilling in his own half, just strolls through. Just I mean, he's, through. No he's got He's got 15 yards around him of pure space. Well, he's got a whole half of, uh, half of a football field to just run through. Matthew <laughs> Matic is too slow to get back because, of course, he is. And, you know, Dean Henderson, on his first European start, the first time he touches the ball, is picking it out of the back of the net. And then... It hurts. It just crumbled. Absolutely just shattered. On my second goal for Visca, okay, yeah, fair enough. It was it was quite well worked, but oh my god, it was like an it was like a hot knife through butter. To coin I mean, a phrase, I mean, Maguire was marking Luke Shaw, I believe. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I Make think I've triggered you. Boil. <laughs> I've triggered you there. <laughs> But it's true. It's indefensible. And after the Arsenal game, Roy Keane questioned whether there were any leaders in that team. And of of course, someone asked Harry Kane about it, like you expect them to do. And Harry goes, well, I I think Roy's wrong. I think there's there's a lot of leaders in that team. Watching that game, there was no leadership on that pitch at all. Harry Harry Kane? Oh my God, that's wishful thinking. Harry (laughs) Maguire... (laughs) Oh, okay, the, I was just—I just, was going to let you correct it. Here's a question for you, though: Is it the fact that you know United don't have a player who lives and breathes Manchester United on that pitch? It is just a team filled with, you know, arguably talent. Because you can't tell me that Paul Pogba is not talented, and that you know, obviously someone and a lot of people actually saw something in Harry Maguire who you know, played brilliantly for Leicester in his final season there. And obviously didn't, no defender warrants an 87, 87 million price tag, but, you know, he still went for us. He still should have gone for a solid amount of money. And there's there. So you can't tell me there's no talent in that team, but is there someone missing who just lives and breathes Manchester United to fill in that leadership role? Well, we thought we'd found it with a manager that lives and breathes Manchester United and keeps going on about oh, the philosophy, the way. Uh, okay, yeah, I understand it takes time. I understand there's a process, but you spoke about Leipzig. Oh, how can they go from being bad to beating PSG? How can we go from beating RB Leipzig 5-0 to that in the space of a week? It is baffling. I mean, can and we just appreciate... It that dissimilar a shape. No, sorry, it was the same shape. Okay, tell me this. I, I'm, I'm forgetting. Did Donny van der Beek play from the beginning? Donny van der Beek he... started. Okay, so I'll give you our starting 11, and I will tell you what is wrong with that starting 11. Oh, uh, on another note, sorry. Uh, we're on the subject of Solskjaer. His ex-club, Mulder, 
are currently one up at Arsenal, which is really nice to see. <laughs> really nice. Jesus no one Christ. Could not happen to a nicer team. Okay, so let me give you let me give you that team because it wasn't a four two three one like ever, like Sky claimed it was. So I've got no issue with the back four and the goalkeeper. Well, I had no issue with the back four and the goalkeeper. <laughs> so Dean Henderson, cool, fine. Aaron Wambasaka, of course, good. Tuan Zabi was great against PSG. A yeah. shadow of that. Oof. It was like he had no defensive awareness at all. But then again, nor does Harry Maguire. <laughs> and Luke Shaw, oh, I can't keep banging on. Uh, you've mid- already said you've already said that Luke Shaw, you know, you love him and he he's he could have been a decent player, but he's just not lived up to his potential. No. But it's the midfield that, that got me. Okay. So Donny van der Beek. Nemanja Matic, Juan Mata, and Bruno Fernandes. There's no real winger in that. In that. Well, that's the thing. We played that narrow diamond again. Mm, okay. So you had Nemanja Matic sitting. Van der Beek, left side, Juan Mata, right side, and Fernandes is the 10. That makes sense. But it doesn't work when you come up against a team with wingers or a lot of pace down their flanks because one matter was overrun and that's where the second goal come from he was he, he got the ball but before he could even turn oh. they were on him he tried to run back he lost it it was crossed it was passed across and visca just smashed it past dean henderson yeah matter just looked slow when he was trying to sprint back. He just looked like an old man trying to keep up with a 20-year-old. I, I love him, but he's past it. We're, we're in that same thing where we keep we keep players that... It's going to sound really horrible, but in football, there is no sentimentality. You have to get rid of players that aren't doing it for you. So Juan Mata doesn't do the job anymore. Nemanja Matic wait? is too slow to, say, to play the modern game. I was just about to mention Nemanja Matic, who also has been voted by 200,000 people to be the best centre-back the Premier League has ever, ever seen. And bear in mind, that's with players, centre-backs, sorry, like Rio Ferdinand, like John Terry, having played in the Premier League as well. First thing, you talk about leaders. Nemanja Vidic was an absolute... He was just, everyone listened to him. He was captain, wasn't he? He was our captain. It was, but the thing is, people listened to him, but he was a proper centre-half. It was, it doesn't matter living and breathing the club. It was, I live and breathe to stop goals going in. There was none of that Harry Maguire nonsense where he pisses off for a walk into the opposition third (laughs) and, you know, has a shot that goes miles into the stands. No, I'm not. You are a centre-back. Defend. That is your job. I don't want rampaging runs. Because he's not quick enough to get back. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly what was going on in Harry Maguire's head. Because it's... 
it's also not the first time he's marked his own damn player. I mean... No, and it won't be the last. Does he not have peripheral vision? Can he not tell that that player that he is, you know, marking and tugging on his shirt has the same damn shirt on as he himself? Probably not. It's probably just blinkers and he got eyes for the ball. And even then, he saw the tackle on as Pellicletter <laughs> against Chelsea. Ah, Jesus Christ. That was, uh, that was horrendous. How, how there wasn't a penalty for that. Christ knows. But Martial scores. We don't deserve it, so I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> because at the end of the day, it means nothing. But then at halftime, he takes off Axel Tanzavi, brings on Scott McTominay, and puts Nemanja Matic at centre-half. He's like, eh? what? So he's, he's clearly just gone, okay, well, Axel, you were at fault for the first goal. But Harry, Harry Maguire went rogue. He spent 90% of that game in the attacking third of Istanbul Bashakshir. You can do like, that if you're you can do that if you're Sergio Ramos. <laughs> you can do that if you're 6-0 up or something like that. You can or if it's like final minutes of the game and you're dying for an equalizer or something like that. That's when you do it. I've got no issue with that. But 55 minutes in trying to find an equalizer, no. But I think the biggest thing and it was an issue last year they sat off and Bruno Fernandes didn't have a good game. Paul Pogba was crap when he came on. Van der Beek had an okay game. No one was great. So I can't, you know, it's, it's, it's wrong of me to individually criticize everyone because no one was good. Yeah. But Istanbul, they sat off and let United come on. That United side is a counter-attacking team and teams know if we sit off, they can't break us down. I yeah. said it, I said it to you. It's all craft and no substance. And even at that, the craft is piss poor. So that so now we're at the question, is Solskjaer still the right manager? I know and I always I also hate myself for asking the question because you know I always think give managers a chance because the, the Solskjaer out or the Ollie out chance have always have already swept through social media. Well, the Oli out, out Brigade comes out every time someone, someone at United, you know, say Paul Pogba's hair is a little bit odd. It's like, oh, well, Oli out. They're just looking for any, any reason. Hence, hence, why I'm, hence why I don't like myself asking the question. But I think at this point, we might have to ask the question. I'm, I'm going to be realistic here. If this carries on, he's going to get the sack because that's the first person to get the blame. That's the first person to be relieved of duty is the manager. But is it fair? No, because I'm going to throw it back. Cause I've said before this season is giving me like flashbacks to Jose Mourinho's last season or last half season. But you so, did, wouldn't you agree that Mourinho did deserve to be sacked? Well, again, it's a similar thing. You back your manager. You don't need to sack him. You back him properly, you don't have to sack your manager. So, Jose Mourinho played Nemanja Matic at centre-back in the final, like, four or five games he was in charge because mm-hmm. they United outright refused to sign a centre-back. <laughs> okay? So, Solskjaer does that. Lindelof's on the bench last night, bearing in mind. So, you've got an international centre-back on the bench, but you choose to put Nemanja Matic there. Hmm. 
<laughs> I wonder what one of the best managers in world football and our current manager are both trying to tell that incompetent set of blokes upstairs. Hmm, if only you bought me a centre-half that I wanted. We might be actually winning games. <laughs> and I, I can't say that they didn't because they bought Harry Maguire, but clearly Harry Maguire is not, not the centre-back that's needed. Well, I'd say he's maybe half of the equation. And that they he think... needs that dynamic option. He needs a upper Mencano to just pluck a name out of the air. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've also seen that Upa Mencano can be has gone a bit rogue, especially versus United, that he went a bit rogue um, going forward. But, you know, he's young. He's not Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire is a bit older. He shouldn't be doing that anymore. <laughs> no. But it's, it's having that assurance of some pace, which is why it baffled me that Axel was taken off. But not only that, in his post-match, Solskjaer said, oh, I thought we played, we were too heavy down the left-hand side. We didn't use the right-hand side enough. So I, I don't know whether this is just me overthinking things or whether it's just the way my brain works, but that is, to me, that is him going, hmm, if only I had a decent right-sided winger to play. If only those people upstairs had paid the money for that right-sided winger that I really wanted all summer instead of buying me two youngsters, one of which can't even play till next year. <laughs> but as much as, you know, Jaden Sancho would have been a perfect addition to that Manchester United squad and side, I'd still think you guys are better off investing some money in your back line again before you invest in your uh, going forward. If you invest in your back on and then you say you got problems going forward, then by all means, get Sancho. But I think before that, you need to sort, sort out your back line and make sure well, you've got two solid center backs. That's the thing. We, we aren't exactly short of options going forward. And for some reason, he's gone away from that front three that post-lockdown last season were absolutely ridiculous. He's gone away from that Rashford on the left, Martial through the middle, Greenwood on the right. And maybe that's right. because of fitness. Mate, or Martial has been injured, a bit, not injured, suspended, sorry, for the last three Premier League games. He's right. back against Everton at the weekend, which, FYI, we're going to lose. <laughs> Confidence is at but, 100% here, boys. <laughs> but you've got these players fit. Why not play your best team? And that is something you definitely you said right after the FA Cup semi-final last season. Oh, don't. It just... Would you have Pochettino if... <sighs> I knew this was coming. Uh, if, I'm sorry. The rumor's already there. I'm not making them up. Would you have Pochettino if Solskjaer was rumored to get the sack and he was looking to be getting the sack? Would you then say Pochettino is the person we need? If Oli got the sack, I'd have Pochettino on heartbeat. Would you want... Better yet, pose this question differently. Would you want United to sack Solskjaer in order to get Pochettino? It's a big, it's a, it's a big ask. Yeah, it's a really... I don't know. I don't want to like call for a manager's head because I really, this is a manager I really like. 
I love Ollie. But it's not. So you would. The back end of last season was so good. Like the second half of last season was so good, but you don't win things on the second half of last. I mean, we bottled three semi-finals last year. It's also hard to keep on holding on to the hope that someone's potential will well, actually. Yeah, it's be like rich. that thing where you've got a really good young player and you really want them to do well. There's going to come a time where you've got to go. Oh, maybe not. Maybe he's not going to ever reach the potential that he has. And. You know, Monday night football, they had Pochettino one, and he just looked, he looked, he looked re-energized. He looked happy. He looked eager. Ooh. And they asked, they asked him like, <laughs> you know, are you ready for your next job? He's like, well, we've not had any offers, but I'm, I'm ready to get back out there. It's almost like a come and get me. You really love overthinking this, don't you? I can't Tra- help it. My, mar- trans- my mind goes a mile a minute. Transfer window isn't, isn't even open and he's still overthinking things. Oh, God. Love it. I really if, do. <laughs> if, we, if we got Poch, I'd, I'd love it. But I don't want to call for a manager. The diplomatic answer then. Yeah, but the one thing I am quite wary about is the November international window is quite synonymous with manager sackings. And I think if we lose to Everton, it probably could be the end. Even though, according to Sky sources, so, you know, someone's mate that walked outside Old Trafford once. So, uh, Ollie's got the full backing, but Mourinho also had the full backing before he got the sack. So, well, that makes two managers at European elite teams that could be getting the sack in the next couple of weeks. I'd be interested to see what happens if PSG and United both sack their managers before that group stage is over. Because I could guarantee you PSG is not... If PSG sack Tuchel, they'll definitely think about Pochettino as well. Okay, well, here's the thing. So Tuchel and Solskjaer both sacked within a couple of days of each other. You're Mauricio Pochettino. You get a call from United and from PSG. Who are you picking and why? Do you know what? That is a very hard choice because both clubs are coming into very different but equally difficult situations. At PSG... They're not going to care anymore if you win the French League or the French Cup or do the French Double or the French Triple or the French Quadruple, whatever. No one's going to care. At PSG, you are measured by the fact if you can win the Champions League or not. Take too long to do so, and you're going to be looking like Thomas Tuchel is right now. Not offered a contract extension when your contract is running out in seven months. United, on the other hand, Equally difficult situation, as I've said. But you've got, a, you've got the situation of you need to restore a team or you, you have, you're taking over a team that still is looking to be restored to its former greatness. And as of now, still has a board that doesn't want to grant wishes to its manager 
or to uh, to the manager to the man the current manager and we already saw it with tottenham when pochettino said you know daniel levy is the one who's making the decisions here where whereas the money for players is concerned i don't really have a say in that i can i can make inquiries about getting this player but daniel levy at the end of the day is the one that makes decisions you said yourself is a very similar situation at Manchester United, where both Tottenham and Manchester United have bankers and businessmen taking care of the transfer situation and the new players they're getting in rather than footballing brains. So both scenarios are equally difficult to go into. Add in the fact that at PSG, you also have to deal with the divas like Neymar and Mbappe. And both both teams are looking shaky at the back. So, in all honesty, I couldn't tell you which one I'd take. Do you want my pick? Yes, please. It's probably a much quicker, much quicker answer than what I just gave. Well, it's quite predictable, and there I, I will give a reason for this. But I'd pick United hands down over PSG because for one reason, At United you can be an absolute icon if you do something with that team. Whereas at PSG, you are disposable. You're it's basically almost, means, means to an end. Yeah, it's almost like, well, we can't really not have a manager. Because let's be honest, when everyone in that, t- in that PSG team is fit, that team picks itself. You don't need to tell Mbappe and Neymar to go and play football. No, obviously not. But the thing is that whereas the team picks itself at PSG, it's a team of superstars that don't form a cohesive unit, which is why I think no matter which manager you've got there, you're not going to be able to form a solid title-winning team. If I was PSG, I'd go Max Allegri. Now, that's a bold shout, and it's probably better and fits more in line with what PSG want. Do you know what would be the most united thing possible? Say oh, that I... does happen where Tuchel and Solskjaer are sacked <clears throat> before they meet each other again in the final group stage game. No. And Pochettino's at PSG. Ooh. And we're stuck with... We probably wouldn't even go Allegri. for Max Allegri. We'd probably end up giving it to Ryan Giggs or something. Who isn't allowed to manage the Wales team at the moment because he's accused of battering his girlfriend. So, you know, welcome to my club. <laughs> fits right in line with the fact oh, that... It really yeah. does. It fits right <laughs> in with the PR disaster that is Manchester United. Uh, with, the, with, the youngest, with the youngest news being that uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka doesn't, wanna, doesn't want his baby mama to be pregnant. <laughs> oh, yeah. Got a girl pregnant and then um, binned her off. which we don't condone oh no it is just not yeah just as you said a pr nightmare anyway i need to go and have a relaxing drown in the shower or something sit in a cold dark room and think about things yeah mad world on constant repeat well that has been another long-winded episode don't forget to like subscribe follow us on social media spotify 
and our RSS feed. We will be back next week, Monday, with the latest action from the Bundesliga and the Premier League, where we will also have the first Der Klassiker of the season. So big stuff going down this weekend. Yeah, this is the last European edition for a couple of weeks, so there won't be one until the Champions League returns. But thanks for listening, guys. Keep calm. Love the beautiful game.